0: Welcome, welcome, welcome into Moments of Genius here on cmru.ca by students for you. My name is Peter Roman, and over the next hour, I will be going through some of the biggest moments in the world of sports and playing some great music along the way. It's my very first show of the year 2020, and yes, it still feels very weird to say the words 2020. We're in a completely new decade now. And, well, in the time that I was off between the fall and winter semesters, there was a lot I missed for sure. As far as my show, it's going to stay pretty much the same as it was in the fall semester. I'm going to keep my roughly 30 and 30 as far as time for sports and music. And then I'm also going to keep my four segments. And I'm also going to keep my music themes. I like doing that, where every single... Show I'm going to have a different music theme and so today's music theme is 2019 music with the year coming to a close all my music today will be from the year 2019 so definitely something you can look forward to my sporting content like I said I missed a lot with being off for obviously Christmas time and stuff like that. So there was a whole bunch of NFL coaching hires that I'll get to. There is World Junior Hockey Tournament that I want to recap as well. I want to talk about that. The Premier League is the English soccer league that continues for some reason over Christmas. They're pretty much the only soccer league that kind of does, like La Liga in Spain. And pretty much every other league takes a break except for the Premier League in England. So I'll talk about that as well. But of course, I have to start today, my opening segment, with the NFL wildcard games. The playoffs are now well and underway in the National Football League, and we had ourselves our first four playoff games this past weekend, and so I'm going to break them down one by one, starting, of course, with my team, the Philadelphia Eagles, as they played the Seattle Seahawks. Sadly, this game did not go well for my team. Seattle won this game 17 to 9 was the final score in order to advance into the divisional round. Sadly for Philadelphia there was just t- too many injuries. Too many injuries. Now for any of you who might be familiar with the show SpongeBob or at least familiar with the fact that the show gets memed a lot. So There's a meme from Spongebob, and it's this guy who's just covered in casts, and covered in bandages, and, like, basically, he's completely immobile. He's completely just covered in... He's completely covered in bandages, covered in casts, all that. And so, in the episode, he always... Like, the, the character, this fish says that, you know, my body's made of glass, and, you know, I can't move without breaking a bone, basically. That meme is the... Pretty good summation of the Philadelphia Eagles season. See, I'm going to try and paint a picture with words here. So my team, this was the offense and what it looked like in week one. So Carson Wentz was the quarterback. Jordan Howard was the starting running back. Miles Sanders was the backup. And then wide receivers, the starting three, were Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, and Nelson Aguilar. Tight ends were Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard, and the offensive line from left to right was Jason Peters, Isaac Marlowe, Jason Kelsey, Brandon Brooks, and Lane Johnson. Now this was the Eagles offense against Seattle in this playoff game. Quarterback was Josh McCown because Carson Wentz got hurt. He ended up getting cheap-shotted by JJV. Clowney, got hit in the back of the head, and was out with a concussion. Running back was Miles Sanders, although granted, I should note, Sanders was apparently playing with a sprained MCL and a bad ankle, and still somehow played pretty well. But it was him and Boston Scott, who wasn't even on the roster to begin the season. He was on the practice squad. Wide receivers. So the original wide receivers were Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, and Nelson Aguilar. The receivers the Eagles had on the weekend were Greg Ward, Ortega Whiteside, and Davis. And yeah, if you're wondering who Davis is, I didn't know either until two weeks ago. Don't, don't feel bad about that. Greg Ward wasn't even on the team to begin the year. He, like Boston Scott, was a practice squad player who actually played really well. I'll give him a lot of credit for that. But again, pretty shorthanded at, at that position. Tight end is actually the one that has the same carryover. So Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard both did play in this playoff game. But it must be noted, Zach Ertz played with a lacerated kidney and a broken rib in this game. And so, as you can imagine, he wasn't quite as effective as he would normally be. Dallas Goddard was okay. At least I didn't hear of any injuries relating to Goddard. And so he was at least healthy. But Ertz certainly was not. And then the offensive line, the actual first three offensive linemen are the same, although Jason Peters was playing with an injury. But Malo and Kelsey both were holdovers. And again, I didn't hear any injuries about the two of them. But then right guard, Brandon Brooks was no longer there. He separated his shoulder a few weeks ago. And so it was Matt Pryor in at right guard. And then it was Vitae in at right tackle for Lane Johnson, who had a high ankle sprain and couldn't play. So if you're doing the math, Basically, the Eagles, from week one starters to playoff starters, had three. Ertz, Silmalo, and Kelsey. Oh, and Peters, sorry, four. They had four players who actually were part of the starting team in week one. That's not great. Not great. And so I, I think the injuries were just a little too much to overcome for my Philadelphia Eagles. And so, therefore... That's why, well, that isn't the only reason why they lost, but I felt like Philly could have had a fighting chance in this game, but they were way too hurt to fight back. So if you can imagine Philly going into this fight with Seattle, and then they lose their arms and their legs, and then has still have to try and fight back against the Seattle team that was injured, but nowhere near as injured as Philadelphia was, but... Credit to Seattle. They played really well in this game. Fully deserving of their win. No, I think, if, ands, or buts about that. I think especially Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf, they were a problem all game long. Wilson had 325 passing yards and a touchdown, along with 45 rushing yards, and Metcalf had 160 yards receiving and a touchdown. The two of them were just on fire the entire game. And so credit to Seattle fully deserving of their victory, they will play the Green Bay Packers in the divisional round. Should be a fantastic game. I cannot wait for that. Moving on to the other NFC game, the New Orleans Saints took on the Minnesota Vikings. So, big takeaway from this game, this was the biggest upset of the weekend. Minnesota won 26 to 20 in overtime and Kirk Cousins the guy who's been criticized nonstop for his poor performances in big primetime games, he showed up. And credit to Cousins, because he played well in this game. I mean, was he spectacular? No. But when he needed to be, he was. And that's what matters. In overtime, he was really good. And that throw he made to Adam Thielen is probably the best throw he's ever made in his life. So... Kirk Cousins deserve a, deserves a lot of credit. Now this game by itself isn't going to get rid of the label he has as being a choker or a player unable to perform in big moments. But it definitely helps. And if he wants to get rid of that label, this is a great stepping stone to help him get rid of his choker label. For New Orleans, I mean, they deserve to lose. This is a team that is not used to losing at home in the playoffs, and unlike the Rams game a year ago, that they actually deserved to win, this one they deserve to lose. They were not good in this game, outside of maybe Taysom Hill, who is pretty much the Swiss Army knife, like, extreme in the NFL. He can do absolutely everything, play any position, like, Taysom Hill has to be the most versatile player, maybe in just the history of football he can play quarterback he can play running back he can play receiver he can play tight end he can do special teams he can do anything he can play defense probably too so outside of him Drew Brees just I know he has a good completion percentage he sh- threw 26 out of 33 but 208 yards a lot of it was dinks and dunks it wasn't a lot of throwing down the field and he had a really bad fumble late in the fourth quarter Also had an interception in this game as well. New Orleans are in a weird spot. And that's because it almost feels like their window has closed. Now, I'm not willing to say that completely. But it has that feeling that it's like, damn, this was probably the one they were supposed to win. And so, credit to the Minnesota Vikings. Fully deserve their victory. And they are going on to play the San Francisco 49ers in the divisional round this weekend. I'm excited to see how it goes. Although, Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs both apparently not practicing due to injuries. So, I guess we'll have to keep an eye on that. Hopefully, they can both go. I hate seeing players not being able to play because of injury. And so, I, I want to see teams lose because they didn't play well enough, not because they got hurt type of thing. So, hopefully, those guys are back from Minnesota this weekend. To the AFC games. The first one was Houston versus Buffalo. This one, I think, was probably the most evenly matched game, at least looking at it on paper going in. And Buffalo certainly didn't look evenly matched. They looked like the better team for the majority of this game and went out to a 16-0 lead in the third quarter before Deshaun Watson, after playing terribly in the first half, decided, I am going to take this team on my back and I'm not, I am don't care what the coach calls, I don't care what my teammates are doing, I will find a way to win this game. And that's pretty much what happened. Deshaun Watson willed himself to win this game. And I know that's not a good sports analysis, but if you watched him, he would quite often in the late third quarter, early fourth quarter, when Houston made their comeback, he would often look at his receivers, see they're not open, and say, you know what? I'm just going to run for it. I'm just going to go do it myself. I'm going to run, get the first down. And he did that a lot and got touchdown out of that too. And so Deshaun Watson, spectacular in late in this game. And what he did in overtime to avoid... I don't know how he did this, but this was just a ridiculous play... He was getting rushed by two Bills players, so he has one coming in from his left and one coming in from his right. And he gets hit pretty much at the same time by both players, and these are football players. It is a collision sport. He gets hit at the same time really hard by two Bills defensive linemen. And he stays on his feet and completes the pass and sets his team up in a field goal range. Watson is a magician. And he'll need to be everything and then some when the Houston Texans play the Kansas City Chiefs this weekend. For the Buffalo Bills, meanwhile, Josh Allen, so this was a big game for him. This was his first ever playoff game. He's in his second year in the league. And so it was kind of a good measuring stick game for Josh Allen. And you know what? For the first half, he was passing. Allen was really good. He looked comfortable, he looked like he was in control of the offense. And then the fourth quarter happened. And you saw a player that was absolutely terrified of the moment. And he made some very, very poor decisions. He had a lateral in the fourth that he threw backwards for some reason. That fortunately his teammate bailed him out of. That he didn't turn the ball over. He had a real bad interception. And could have had a whole bunch more. It was just... Josh Allen was kind of a mess in the fourth quarter. And now it's one game. It's his first ever playoff game. And you know what? Players have bad playoff games. It's not, you know, no one's immune to the fact that not everybody's going to play well in every single playoff game. And so for Buffalo, like, it's not that Josh Allen is a choker, but you better hope that this is a one-off type of game and not a sign of things to come. Because if it is a sign of things to come, that does not bode well for this Buffalo Bills team that I'm sure has aspirations of probably winning playoff games here in the very near future. It was an overall really good season for Buffalo, though. I think they can take a lot of positives from that. But again, you better hope Josh Allen can figure it out as far as in those playoff games. You better hope this is a anomaly and not a continuation type of thing. And finally, we had the Tennessee Titans... And the New England Patriots. And Tennessee, they're the team I always could not figure out. Because they're very weird. Tennessee is capable of beating anybody on any given day. And is also capable of losing to anybody on any given day. And this game was 14-3 at halftime. And then nobody scored again until Brady threw a pick six with like 10 seconds left type of thing. So... Full credit to the Titans. Their defense came to play. Derrick Henry, I mean, this... Derrick Henry ended up being the league's leading rusher, and it showed. He had 182 yards. New England could not tackle this guy. He... I I don't want to say he's quite as good as what Marshawn Lynch was, but he's pretty close to what prime Marshawn Lynch was. That's That's who I always compare Derrick Henry to. I think they have very similar running styles. I think Henry's probably a little bit faster than Lynch was. But I think Lynch was a little bit harder to tackle. But nonetheless, he is a brilliant, fantastic running back. And so he really helped carry this Tennessee team that only threw it 15 times with Tannehill. And so I think that really shows that they were going to win and lose on their run game and they didn't care. And so credit to Tennessee for sticking with their identity and getting a big win against the Patriots who have lost in the playoffs. Feels weird to say that. They haven't really lost in the playoffs over the last five years. But, yeah, a loss in the wildcard game for the New England Patriots. Their defense crumbled and poor moments in this game. And their offense, after having a, you know, a, a decent first half. Like, they weren't terrible in the first half. They got shut out in the second half. And so, for Tom Brady, it's a wild card loss, which I'm sure is weird. For his resume, which doesn't have a lot of those. (laughs) But New England just weren't good enough offensively. Plain and simple. This team was not good enough. They didn't have enough separation. They didn't have enough playmakers. And it showed. It really showed in this game. Now, a lot of people have been proclaiming the Patriots dynasty as being done and dusted. I'm not willing to say that just yet because I want to see how they might rebound from this because I think they very well could. But it's certainly something to keep an eye on as far as what the future may hold for the New England Patriots. And I'm very curious to see what they do this offseason because I feel like New England is going to make a lot of moves to... Make up for the fact that their offense was real bad this year. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. Tennessee, meanwhile, is on to face the number one seeded Baltimore Ravens this weekend. It'll be a very run-happy game. So if you like running games, Tennessee and Baltimore is is the one to watch for sure. So that's it. That's all I got for the wildcard games. I will talk about the Premier League and specifically the video system referee system that everybody seems to hate, but I think I have a solution for. Coming up here in my first music break, I have, remember my music theme today, 2019, so I have Senorita by Sean Mendez and Camila Cabello.
1: Let's but-
2: CA by students for you. Welcome
0: back to Moments of Genius here on cmru.ca by students for you. And I'm going to talk a little soccer, specifically European soccer in England because that was pretty much the one league that was actually going on during the winter break. Most other leagues take a few weeks off during Christmas time and whatever, so they let their players you know, have a little break, they can see their families, and England decides nope, we're gonna make sure that you guys play games for our entertainment. So the English festive period is very fun to watch but there's a lot of fixture congestion. There's a lot of games in a very short amount of time, and so that's definitely something that is Worth keeping an eye on, I think, a lot of the time, but nonetheless, good to talk about. So, the festive period has come and gone, and so where do things stand, I guess, is the very all important question. And the answer is Liverpool has won the title. That's where things stand right now. Now, no, Liverpool have not mathematically won the title, but realistically, they have. See, Liverpool have played 20 games so far this season, and they've won 19 of those 20 games, and they have one time 58 points. Yeah, that's, I mean, <laughs> that's pretty spectacular. Leicester City are currently the team in second place. Leicester have 45 points. They have played 21 games, 14 wins. Three draws and four losses. It was not a great festive period for Leicester City, who got who lost 3-1 to Manchester City and then lost 4-0 to Liverpool. That was really the game that, if anybody had any doubt about Liverpool winning the title this year, that was it right there. Liverpool showed all their might at once type of thing and really showed out. Like, they... Yeah, full credit to Liverpool. This was a team... This is a full team effort. And Alexander-Arnold in this game, I mean... He might legitimately be the best right back in the world. And he's like 21. But he is spectacular. His crossing, his passing is just exquisite. It really is. He can pinpoint across like nobody else in football these days. He really can. And... I mean, he's far from the only reason why Liverpool are out in front, but he's certainly a pretty big one. Man City, meanwhile, had a pretty good festive period, got a win against Leicester, winning against Sheffield, but they had a 3-2 loss to Wolves. And, I mean, for a team that had already lost more this season than it did in the entirety of last season, it's hard to swallow for Manchester City who realistically cannot catch Liverpool anymore. For basically every other team, it's about fighting for a top-four place at this point. Liverpool, just, they're too far in front. I I don't think it's going to be... They're going to be able to be caught, barring some kind of crazy collapse or something like that. So, as far as the rest of the table and how it looks, Chelsea's been... A little up and down during the festive period, got a win, big win against Tottenham, then lost to Southampton, not great, but got a win against Arsenal, and then drew against Brighton, so very inconsistent for Chelsea over the festive period. Manchester United, meanwhile, had a 2 nothing loss to Watford, who are bottom of the league, which, again... Oh, sorry. Um, They were bottom of the league at the time, I should say. Norwich has actually dropped there right now. But certainly, the win against Newcastle and a win against Burnley have got them at least relatively on track before they got, you know, 2-0 loss to Arsenal. Tottenham, meanwhile, similar to Chelsea, very inconsistent. Not a great festive period for them. They lost, of course, to Chelsea, beat Brighton, drew Norwich, and lost to Southampton. It seems the honeymoon period under Jose Mourinho certainly has expired, to say the least. Wolves, meanwhile, currently sit in seventh. Again, another inconsistent period for them. Sheffield had a win against Brighton, and then not great results. They had to play Man City and Liverpool, in fairness, and you're going to lose to those teams more often than you're not. Crystal Palace bring it up in ninth. Arsenal find themselves in 10th with a new coach. They fired Unai Emery. Mikel Arteta is the new head coach of Arsenal. And like with all the coaches of Arsenal, it's not... Re- like, the biggest problem with Arsenal Football Club is not the coaching staff it or even the players. It's the ownership who are unwilling to spend on better players. That's kind of the problem. Arsenal was struggling, but got a big win against Man United, which might bode well for them and giving them confidence going forward the rest of the season. There is still a possibility Arsenal could salvage a possible top-four place. Everton also have a new coach. Carlo Ancelotti is now the coach of Everton. Didn't think I'd be saying that. He's a good coach, and so they got a really good one. He was fired by Napoli during the festive period at a weird time after he got Napoli... Promote after you got Napoli through to the round of 16. A little weird. Southampton are 12th. Newcastle are in 13th, but on a three game losing streak at the moment. Brighton Hove Albion 14th. Burnley 15th, also on a three game losing streak. West Ham 16th. They also fired their coach, so they have a new manager in, and it's David Moy. So it's like a new old manager that they have in at West Ham. Aston Villa are currently one point above the drop zone as Bournemouth find themselves in 18th and haven't won in four matches. Watford have actually had a very good festive period. They are trying to claw their way out of the relegation zone right now is they had a win versus Wolves, a win against Aston Villa, a draw with Sheffield, and a win against Man United over the festive period. So certainly it was a good time for Watford in trying to get out of the bottom of the league. Norwich, meanwhile, they didn't win a single game during the festive period, and so not a great time for Norwich City. Temubuki had a brilliant start to the year for them, but has not been as consistent over the last couple of months, and that has hurt this Norwich team that seems to be way too dependent on him scoring goals for them. Anyway, that's it. That's all I got on the Premier League stuff. I want to quickly dive into VAR. So, VAR, for those of you who might not know, it's the Video Assistant Referee. It's the new video replay system that soccer has been implementing over the last three years, and it's the very first year that it's been in existence in England. And people hate this system. Now, I'm not saying the people who hate this system are dumb, but they're misinformed. And that's because the problems with VAR aren't really the problems with VAR, the problems are with the rules. So the way the rule book is, wi- is written means that with the video assistant referee, They're kind of doing what they're supposed to, but the rules are bad, and so you have these, you know, based on the way the rules are written, you have these players who might have their armpit offside, and they get called for it, and it sucks, but that's how the rule is, (laughs) and so in order to change that, you have to change the rule, and that's, I think, the biggest misconception is that VAR is not really a problem. It's the way it's being used to enforce its own rules that it is. And that's the rules of the game. The the laws of the game written by FIFA, they need to be tweaked because in the new age of VAR, they are no longer that acceptable type of thing. And so I think that's the biggest thing. VAR is only a positive to me in the sport Because for those who want to whine and cry about, oh, I don't like the video replay system. If you don't remember what it was like before the video replay system, which involved players falling over, being untouched in the box, and getting penalty kicks to win their team's games, then I can't help you. Plain and simple. All right, moving on to my next music break. I have beautiful people from Ed Sheeran and Khalid continuing on with my 2019 theme. We are, we are, we are,
1: we are. LA, on a Saturday night in the summer down and they all come out. Lamborghini Everybody's
0: Welcome back to Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by Students4U. I am on to my third segment of the day, and that is World Junior Recap. So the World Junior Championships took place over the Christmas holiday. It's always a really fun type of tournament. I kind of like watching the World Juniors just because there's always so much, like, momentum swings like there's always momentum swings in sports but I feel like the world juniors just has momentum swings like no other sport type of thing where any given minute the game can completely turn on its head and so that's part of what makes it fun and then also just getting to see a lot of these you know prospects and younger players that you wouldn't get to see previously like if you have a a second rounder from the LA Kings, or a third rounder from, I don't know, the Chicago Blackhawks, right? And so you get players that you might not see on a regular basis, and you get to see them in kind of this big stage, this big moment, and so I kind of like that that you get to see stuff like that, because it, it's kind of nice to to see those type of things, just because, again, you don't get to see it that often type of thing but certainly it was a brilliant tournament to watch most of the time although there were I think a few too many blowouts for my liking but certainly I mean there's always going to be a lot of blowouts type of thing but I mean yeah you can't you can't change the fact there's going to be blowouts in any kind of international tournament And so the way this tournament started, you had one group which was definitely stronger than the other group. Canada, Russia, the Czechs, and the U.S. all in the same group together. And it had to do with the way things finished in the last tournament. And then how it ended up carrying over into this tournament. So obviously, you know, not the... uh, not the most i guess exciting type of thing where you get Kazakhstan and i think Slovakia were really disappointing to me. Slovakia are usually a pretty good hockey country, but yeah, they got blown out a lot in this tournament. They ended up making it to the quarterfinals because you need to beat one team in your group and so they did beat the um they did beat Kazakhstan and so that was Good for them, I suppose. (laughs) That's one way to put it anyway. But nonetheless, it was a very disappointing tournament for them. And for the United States, who probably on paper, you could argue, had the best team going into this tournament. But again, just not, not happening for them type of thing. It was a disappointing tournament for the United States. They had the loss to Canada in the opening day on Boxing Day. And then of course lost to Finland one to nothing as they got shut out in the quarterfinals. So that's certainly something. <laughs> that's not exactly the the best situation ever, but nonetheless, still a very a very fun tournament. Again, I don't ever complain about. The tournament just because it it is overall a good tournament to watch for sure. But the Americans, I think, will be kicking themselves just a little bit. That they didn't do a little bit better, especially with some of the players they had. Sweden, meanwhile, continued their unbeaten run in the group stages of this tournament. They're on kind of a ridiculous streak here a little bit. This team is, yeah, they are definitely, like, I don't know why, they just can't seem to lose in a lot of these, in a lot of these games, like, these group stage games. And then they get to the knockout rounds, and it's a totally different thing. Now, granted, they actually did win their first knockout round game, and they got to the semifinals, but then they lost to Russia in a... 5-4 overtime game, which was real fun to watch. I very much enjoyed watching that one. But it's, yeah, it's one of those things where Sweden, again, they just, they seem to be kind of the chokers of international football to some extent, or international hockey, I should say. Correcting myself. Don't know why I said soccer. But Sweden are kind of the chokers of international hockey. In a lot of ways just because they really should be doing better with a lot of these but they're just not getting it right now and so for Sweden certainly a disappointing tournament by all means and I mean they got a bronze medal and usually shouldn't be disappointed with a bronze medal but again they've won like fifth over 50 games consecutively in the group stages but they can't transfer it over and that's just the problem. They cannot transfer this over and if they could, they would certainly be a they would certainly find themselves in a much better place. But again, that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes. The defending champions Finland yeah, they got totally blown out by Canada and that was not that fun to watch. Canada came out and scored basically three goals inside of the first, like, five minutes, and it really didn't get a lot better for them. It was a very, very poor showing from the Finns in that specific game. They played really well against the United States, but again, that's just... It's not good enough type of thing when, you know, you you expect a little more, From the team, so I think that is definitely something to improve upon in the Finns defense, just like with a lot of teams, you know, you you never really have your best players at this tournament. Because the best actual players on the team are pretty much always in the... they're always in the NHL, so there's not a whole lot to do with that. But nonetheless, still... Very, very good tournament, and of course it came down to Russia and Canada. And now this game was very intriguing because in the group stages, Russia beat Canada 6-0. It was a total blowout and nothing went right for Canada that game. It was just, yeah, a total disaster for Team Canada. But, it went a lot better because they won. This game, they won the gold medal game in order to take themselves into the in order to take themselves all the way into winning the gold medal and getting their national anthem played, which was a controversial moment with Barrett Hayton. Alexi Lafreniere ended up being the MVP of the tournament. He didn't score the game-winning goal, but Canada came back to win 4-3 to and got a little assist from the TSN camera. For anyone who didn't hear about what happened, it was really funny. So basically, late in the game, Russia had a power play, and of course they pulled their goalie. But they were supposed to get a two-man advantage when the Canadian player flipped the puck over the glass, but then it hit the TSN camera that was in the middle of the ice, like the TSN center ice camera, and came back in. And the officials... I guess, talked it over, and ignored the call the one ref originally made, and so the camera inadvertently helped keep Canada from going down to, you know, a two-man advantage. Russia would later take a stupid penalty and lose the game, but nonetheless, certainly a funny little moment. Not funny if you're Russian, but especially... In this program, being that we're all broadcasters, to see a camera get an assist in a hockey game was kind of funny. Like I said, though, Alexei Lafreniere, he did get the MVP in this tournament. He was spectacular. And so, Alexei Lafreniere, he is the projected number one overall pick coming up in the 2020 draft. And, I mean, if you watch this tournament, yeah, there's nothing else you can say other than this guy is going to go number one. Because Lafreniere was spectacular. In this tournament. The guy is a great skater. He's very good at possessing the puck. Good shooter. Basically a complete forward. I don't I don't see any weaknesses. When I watch Lafreniere. I think he is going to be a spectacular NHL player. When it comes down to it. And so. Something to look forward to. Without a doubt. Anyway that's it. That's all I got for World Junior Recap. I am going to cover... A lot of the new NFL head coaching hires in my next segment for right now though I know this isn't a 2019 song but I'm trying to go with the 2019 theme and so because Billie Eilish was such a big artist throughout the year I have one of her songs it's a year older than that it's 2018 but I think it still works under the theme and so I have her song with bellyache
2: full of gum in the driveway my friends aren't far in the back of my car lay their bodies Who is my mom?
0: Welcome back to Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by Students4U. I'm on to my final segment of the day, and that is the new NFL coaching hires that took place over this past week. Although I should note that there is still one coaching vacancy, and that happens to be the one of the Cleveland Browns, who haven't picked a coach yet. So I can't really assess them, but I can talk about all the other ones. So I will start with the first one that happened, which was Ron Rivera going to Washington. And the reason why this sounds weird is because Washington actually did something really good. So, yeah, full credit to Washington for making a good coaching hire. Ron Rivera spent a whole bunch of time in Carolina, made a Super Bowl, had another NFC Championship appearance. He He's a really good coach. And I think Washington got a very good hire here. The problem with Washington is not... And it's really never been coaching. It's been ownership. Dan Snyder is, in a word, not the best. And so that's kind of what you have here is it really is not great as far as, as far as managing a team and letting the actual football people do football things, which obviously is important, just because it's always important to have football people doing football things, especially when you're an owner, but some of them don't like doing that and some of them just they're like well i'm gonna do it myself and so yeah that's pretty much how it is they just think they're all gonna do it themselves and yeah that's pretty much what went down here so anyway nonetheless next coaching hire mike mccarthy went to the dallas cowboys Now, this is a move I definitely did not see coming. I was surprised with this transaction, basically. Mike McCarthy was the former Green Bay coach. He sat out last year. He didn't have a job, but he was the coach of the Packers. He's won a Super Bowl. He's coached Aaron Rodgers. He's coached Brett Favre. So he has a lot of experience in the league. And I don't think this is, like, a perfect match together, I think it'll be interesting, but I do think Mike Mike McCarthy's a solid hire. He has a great resume. And I think the biggest thing I'm curious about is that Mike McCarthy has tended to be the coach who throws a lot more than he runs. And so I wonder how that's going to work now that he has a team that has Ezekiel Elliott on it. So we will be interesting to see. I think it's a pretty good hire, though, for the Dallas Cowboys. Nothing wrong with giving an experienced coach another head coaching job. The next one I'm going to talk about, Matt Rule went to Carolina. If you don't know who Matt Rule was, he was a college head coach at the, I think it's Baylor University, I believe. I'll just double check that here in just a second, but Matt Rule went to Baylor, or sorry, went from Baylor I should say, to the Carolina Panthers. He got a lot of money for that. Yeah, it was Baylor. I just confirmed that. So, yeah, he got a lot of money. <laughs> Ian Rappaport was saying his money. He got over like $10 million a year. That's a lot of money for a coach. But, you know what? Full credit. You know what? You get your money as a coach or a player because it's a very volatile business where job security is very minimal. So, full credit as far as Matt Rule getting a whole bunch of money for his job. I do think whenever you hire a college coach, it is a risky hire because he doesn't have that NFL head coaching experience. However, he has coached in the NFL before, so it's maybe a little less risky than a traditional college coach, but certainly still a risky hire. But it's one of those high-risk, high-reward type of moves. And so I think Carolina, with a new ownership, they they want people to be excited about the team. And I think Matt Rule will help Carolina Panthers fans be excited about a team that's kind of in a weird spot this offseason, especially with questions about their quarterback position. Like, are they going to keep McCam Newton? Are they going to get rid of him? What about Kyle Allen or anybody else on the roster? See, Carolina's not bad enough to tank, but they're not good enough to win a Super Bowl right now. And so they're kind of in that in-between zone. So it'll be very interesting to see how Carolina will move forward because this is a really big offseason for them. And so Matt Rule will certainly be in on discussions in trying to make the team better. And finally, we have Joe Judge going to the New York Giants. If you don't know who Joe Judge is, I didn't know either until yesterday. Because Joe Judge was the special teams and wide receivers coach of the New England Patriots. And if you're wondering why wouldn't the Giants hire the wide receiver coach of the Patriots when wide receiver was one of the biggest weaknesses on the team the previous year, that's a good question. And the truth is, I can't answer that. Now granted, he was a really good special teams coach, and so that I think gives him some credibility. And being that he comes from the New England Patriots, I think it's reasonable to assume that the Giants under Joe Judge would be a very disciplined team they probably won't take that many penalties next year so that's always good that you have a guy who can keep discipline in the team but questions have to be asked about the fact that he doesn't have head coaching experience in the NFL and I mean can Joe Judge really work in helping develop Some of these young players in New York, especially offensively, they're going to need a really good coordinator is kind of my takeaway from that. And yeah, it's, I don't know, Joe Judge, and it's nothing against the guy because I don't really know him, but history tends to show us that the Bill Belichick coaching tree doesn't usually pan out that well. The Belichick coaching tree has not been very good. Bill O'Brien, like, so think about it this way. Bill O'Brien, who's the current coach of the Houston Texans, is probably Belichick's best disciple. That's not great. Most of Belichick's coaches tend to flame out because they're just not that great outside of New England. We'll see if Joe Judge can maybe, I guess, get away from that reputation and from that historical evidence. But until we see that, I think this looks like a extremely risky hire from the New York Giants. On the surface, it does not look like a good hire. But certainly, you know, Joe Judge could prove everybody wrong. He could certainly be a fantastic head coach. But if history is anything to go by, he probably won't be. So I guess we'll have to wait and see on that one. What I know, as an Eagles fan, is that I probably don't have to worry about the Giants next year because first-year head coaches tend to take a little while in order for them to get settled and properly adjusted to to their new team. And, and that's just normal. That's just part of the business. That's part of the way it works to be a head coach in professional sports. So that's it. That's all I got. Like I said, Cleveland is the only other job... like occupation that's vacant right now, but they haven't hired anybody yet. Although I'm kind of hoping they hire Eagles defensive coordinator, Jim Schwartz, mostly because I know a lot of people like Jim Schwartz and I, I get why they'd like him. I'm not that sold on him. I think the Eagles defense way too many times just crumbles, like just crumbles. And Like, Schwartz, yeah. Schwartz, I don't think he's a bad defensive coordinator, but I don't think he's a great one either. So, definitely will be interesting to see who the Cleveland Browns hire. Will be fascinating to find out. Either way, that is it. That's all I got. That's the end of my show today. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today here on CMRE.ca. I will be broadcasting my show throughout the winter semester, Thursdays at 10 a.m., Next week, NFL divisional round will be my main focus. We have the Titans and the Ravens. We have the 49ers and the Vikings, the Seahawks and the Packers, and the Texans and the Chiefs. We will be down to four teams in the NFL playoffs by the end of this weekend. My final song, Taylor Swift, and look what you made me do.
2: What you just made me do, look what you just made me do I I don't don't like your kingdom cakes. They once belonged to me You asked me for a place to sleep Locked me out and threw a feast The world moves on another day, another day You'll all get yours But I got smarter, I got harder In the nick of time I hate it, the dead I do it so all the time I got a list of names and yours is in red underlined I check it once, then I check it twice oh, Look what you made me do Look what you made me do Look what you just made me do Look what you yeah, just did, made, did. Me oh. what you made me do Look what you made me do Look what you made me do